Hi, I'm Shelly. I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. So on the heels of our last few episodes around time, Cam and I kind of want to shift the conversation from challenges, which is what we've been talking about in the context of time, because ADHD certainly presents a lot of challenges as relates to time or challenges that seem like they relate to time, going back to last week. But we want to shift our focus back to strengths because as ADHD coaches, Cam and I are both strengths-based coaches. And the thing is, is this is not an either-or proposition. We said this in an episode, I don't know which one, but a couple of weeks ago. When you reframe, it's not about naming it as a strength and not a challenge. It's about seeing the whole picture, understanding your challenges, but also understanding your strengths so that you can work from a place of strength. So Cam, you want to kick us off in terms of talking about strengths? Sure, Shelly. So as you said, and we both subscribe to this model of strength-based coaching and that um, it's really at the core of what we do with our clients. Although our clients, they're coming to for us to help them solve a dilemma. Yeah. It's like, it's, this is just human behavior. We, we don't seek help unless there's a problem. So recognizing that the problem is it's ADHD at the core, and I haven't figured out how to get over this obstacle. And so can you help me? So we address that. We help our clients address the ADHD challenge so they can move forward in their life. But if we didn't look at strengths, we would basically be trying to do this with our dominant hand tied behind our back, you know, and I think that as we said before, the biggest signal gets our attention. And in the brain, the biggest signal is the negative signal. What am I doing wrong? We've laid out this cause and effect model, and it's really easy to get focused on all the things that are not good. The negative manifestation of ADHD, saddling up to the lunch counter and reframing. There's, we did that a couple weeks ago of of taking these challenges and reframing them. And it's worth coming back to this because there's more here. There's much more here. Here's the thing that's interesting is that, so those of us with ADHD have a glitchy sequencer. And I see this time and time again, is that, okay, well, strengths are great, Cam, but before I'm going to address strengths, I'm going to address these challenges. And so what are we doing? We're trying to mop up all these messes, challenges, address these weaknesses, and we're still running around with our dominant hand tied behind our back. So what does it mean, that dominant hand? It's the, it's strengths. There's so much out there regarding strengths. And you see Strength Finder, you see other ones that really are speaking to either leadership strengths or character strengths. And when we tap into strengths, then those ADHD challenges, like activation, like sustaining effort, can in a way melt away. Yeah. I have a client that has a really great metaphor around focusing only on the challenges, which is something that she realized was her default pattern, sort of trying to scramble and mop up the mess. So 
when I work with clients, I tell them that coaching is like building a house. If your big agenda is putting the roof shingles on, we have to start by digging out the foundation. And it's going to take time and it's going to take work. And my client's metaphor for that pattern of behavior where it's just mop up the challenge, mop up the challenge over and over again is it's like putting up a facade, like on a movie set where you have from the front, it looks like a house, but you step around the side and it's just a facade. And so the work of creating real change takes a lot more time than building a facade. Just digging out the foundation is more work than putting up that facade. But what you end up with is something real and lasting rather than something temporary like a facade. So that's a great metaphor. And it's, it's not easy work. This is not easy. This is quadrant two. It's important. You're not going to go out there and find your strengths and then utilize these strengths overnight. So going back to our six areas that we talked about that are relevant with regards to uh, task management, activation, and completion. So those areas were interest, level of interest, level of ease, level of urgency, level of fun, level of relevance. And then I said accountability. I'm thinking accountability, but also sort of positive structures along with accountability. Who's invested in this? What are the different supports that are going to allow me to be successful here? We also brought in this emotional piece, which I think is, you know, again, I think it's around ease. There's an emotional load that can be a real obstacle to getting tasks done. If we infuse our work, we're using our strengths, that it's going to boost all these levels up by two, I think, that especially ease, interest, and fun are going to bump up and help us be more invested, be more interested about what we're doing. And so I go back to the, the, the biggest conundrum with ADHD, I think, is this, again, the, the awareness gap. For so long, I didn't know what it was about for me. I didn't have my big why. And I didn't know where to start. And the, oh, then you throw in the ADHD and overwhelm and not seeing where's the next step to cross the river. And I'm just in this kind of little tight circle of negative thinking, circular thinking, negative self-talk, ruminating, and then asking questions of like, you know, what's it all about? I don't know. And it wasn't until I started to teach and coach that my strengths were revealed to me through my own experience and getting positive feedback there. So starting to kind of hone that skill and hone that skill set that I realized my strengths of a listener, of an educator, of someone who can provide insight. And I'm still, you know, those strengths are still being revealed to me. And so, you know, when you look up the hill at the lunch counter, we're at the lunch counter, and we've talked about looking up the hill on the icy slopes of Mount Rainier. We've been talking about all the things that are at causation. Icy slopes right near, starting with the glitchy Rubik's Cube or the little arcade claw that won't let go or won't pick up. And then there's the, the perfectionist. There's the 
for me, it's the, the idea generator, the super sensitometer for super sensitive. And that's what gets our attention. It's like the, the negative things that manifest the negative experience of ADHD back behind us. So we can't do this, Shelly. We can't do this, this project without really giving a nod to strengths and the power of strengths. Yeah, and I would say more than a nod because when we're down in challenge and that's all we're focusing on because our brains are wired for context, because those of us with ADHD are really good at connecting people, places, things, ideas to other people, places, things, ideas. When we're in the negative, that can all collapse in on us. We're connecting negative experience to negative experience to negative experience. And it gives us this really distorted sense of self. We, we start to believe that we're not capable or we're lazy or we're worthless because we're not looking at the whole picture. We're only connecting to the negative. And the negative becomes so overblown. It's there. No human is perfect. We all have our downsides, Cam. But it becomes so overblown. It's this distorted picture of who we are. And when we bring strengths into the mix, we start to get a more balanced view. So I'm going to go to the reframe chart. And there's one in particular. So the reframe chart that we introduced in, in episode 10, when we introduced our, our uh, cause and effect model. So that cause and effect has that lunch counter that rings Mount Rainier. And the lunch counter is a barrier between cause and effect. We have that lunch counter because it, it gives us a place to engage level one symptoms of ADHD, like distractible, like rumination, like oversensitive impulsive, procrastination, hyperactive. We have the reframe chart to help us be there and really start to reframe each of those. Rumination, concentrates deeply, ultra-focused, attends to task at hand, problem solver. Impulsive, reframe to spontaneous in the moment, honest and open and assertive. All of these are relevant and doing good work here at the lunch counter, reframing to kind of look at those level one symptoms and to consider what's the strength that may be associated with that. There's one in particular that we're focusing on today, and Shelly just gave reference to it when she said that we are wired for context. So let's dig in there because that's going to be sort of the basis for our focus on strengths today to distinguish character strengths from, in a sense, cognitive strengths, how we tend to be wired. Uh, you said this before the call in the sense that we are in a society and we, are, we do not have the dominant wiring, which is a sequential, linear, systematic, wired for process, wired for rules. And so it's sort of feeling like a stranger in a strange land phenomenon. So let's go to the reframe chart. And this one in particular, nonlinear random. That's the challenge. Number two on the list, nonlinear and random. 
And so the reframe there is creative, thinks outside the box, divergent, expansive, interdisciplinary thinker. Ooh, uh, I see that one so much with my clients. It's really kind of funny that we're talking about this right now because I've had three or four clients in the last two weeks pose almost the exact same question of how did I end up in such a linear field? But the thing is, is for each of those clients, they're in a quote unquote linear field, but in a really creative, interesting niche that I wouldn't have even known existed. So one example is I have a client studying economics and she wants to work in economics with restorative justice. I didn't even know that that was possible. So that interdisciplinary one is something I see so often with my clients, just finding really unique positions where they can use their strengths in their chosen field. It's so cool. Yeah, many of my clients are in this position of a kind of a liaison. They're often in this place where they need to be able to communicate between uh, different uh, silos, right? Yeah. For, for uh, lack of a better term. And this is not by coincidence. This is not by coincidence, people, that you know, we are drawn to areas that where we tend to be successful. And this, there's a strength, a core strength that is behind that. And that is this notion of being wired for context. So what does that mean, wired for context? What it means is, just like it says, not it's more random. It's nonlinear. So, you know, all the descriptions of ADHD have been to the day, you know, to, to so far, well, in the last up to about five years ago was it's all these non things, right? Like non-systematic, non-linear, non-conventional. And there's no really good descriptors of how our experience is. This is the core of our experience is that wired for context means we process by association of how we relate, how things are related, and how we relate, how we fit in to that world. And so that's context. Um, yeah, and a, to give an example, I think an example might help here. And this is the one that I use with my clients. So I'm actually a dual processor. So I do have access to sequential processing, but it's not my dominant style. And when I'm putting together a brand new presentation, all of this context that I didn't think of until I sat down and started putting it together starts happening. And I have new points that I want to make. And what I used to do is I used to, you know, think, ooh, okay, that's, that's a point I want to make. That's really good context. And I would add a slide. And that slide would then screw up the entire sequence of the talk. So I would add one slide and move 15 around to develop a new sequence. Well, I eventually realized that I need to let my contextual processor do its thing first. Because once I get to the end, there is a complete picture. It's kind of like what we do here in the podcast too, Cam. Week to week, we start to see more context and where we could go next based on what we've talked about the week before. So I don't think unsystematic 
is necessarily fair. I think it's differently systematic, right? right? It's exactly. a different way of getting to that complete picture, which makes us really good at doing things like bridging gaps between silos because we can see the context or finding really unique ways to work within our fields because we can see ways to solve problems that others might not see. That's right. So a term that I use, that's um, the name of my blog is Global Creative. And it's been that name for years. And I settled on that name because basically the individuals who I work with and the, the old, my old tagline was, or the descriptor was global in vision, creative in action. So the global envision in the sense of this is this wired for context piece that we have a, a, a global approach, an associative approach and not necessarily linear approach to seeing the world and engaging in that world. And so just as you said with that great example of how you prepare that by doing it, by doing it contextually, is still effective. You don't have to do it linearly, right? It needs, it needs to make sense and it has to have a, you know, when you present it, but how you do it in the sense of preparation, it, it actually, you're working to your strength and your preferred cognitive preference. The other part of that is this creative piece. So we tend to be creative. Here's the interesting thing though. As you said earlier, that wiring can get away from us. And if we're kind of allowing, you know, to be kind of, if we're overly sensitive and being kind of inundated by lots of information and uh, the way that we do this all or nothing thinking and not compartmentalizing or distinguishing. So if I mess up a talk, if I mess up uh, a coaching session, if I mess up with my kid, uh, if I mess up in some way, I used to be like, take myself to the woodshed because who I was in that moment is connected to my identity. And it's like, it's all doom and gloom. And I'm a bad dad because I yelled at my kid. Well, you know, if I go back and sort of, wait a sec, <laughs> I yelled at my kid because I was frustrated that I'd asked them the sixth time to brush their teeth yeah. and I didn't get enough sleep. And it's, Okay, this yelling doesn't mean I'm a bad dad, but that's where we can kind of do that super fast link to this bigger sense of self. And it's, and it's a bigger sense of self that's not necessarily positive. So that's a way we can kind of short circuit the way we're wired and not use it as a strength. Every strength we can take and we can flip it into a negative. The other thing we do is with creativity, this is the thing I see all the time is we will be creative, but we, we use it all up at super low levels. We creatively avoid. We creatively procrastinate. Yeah. Um, and, and so that creativity is often used in all kinds of low-level behavior and not at a higher level in developing something, going back to working on the house and not just building a facade, crafting something, creating a movement, influencing a group of people, 
being dedicated to something and seeing that and being a part and moving that forward. So again, that creativity can, can go out at a, at a low level. How about we look at an example? I was, I've been thinking about this, Shelly, and I was going to bring in an example of one of my clients. Yeah, let's do it. But before we do, I want to say the one other dominant thing I see directly related to the contextual processing style that we have is rumination because we can, we can really start to envision all the different potential outcomes of an action. Like in vivid technicolor, we get all these forking paths and that can be really helpful can really aid in decision-making and problem-solving. Where it becomes challenging is when a decision is made and rumination itself becomes the barrier because you know what the action is, but you're still sort of ruminating in circles on it, going down those same forking, branching paths that you've already walked and you've already made a decision based on. So just wanted to toss that one in there because I have uh, a couple of clients with a strong ruminator on board. And so that's top of mind for me. But let's, let's hear your client example, Kim. I'm excited about that. So and I just, this is a former client. I just texted her this morning. I was like, hey, <laughs> can, I, <laughs> can we use you and your story on the podcast today? And she gave me the thumbs up. So, so here goes. Rosemary is a, she's a music teacher in a high school in Northern Virginia and she has ADHD. And, um, you know, I think that she had a real classic presentation of ADHD in the sense of overwhelmed, super sensitive, and how she coped was to throw herself into everything 120%. Everything, every role, every class, every, you know, whether it's planning or her classes, she would kind of get amped up to overcome that task or that activation inertia and just come in super hard, super energized, and then collapse at the end of the day. There was another issue that she had. The other issue or challenge she had that she wanted to address was that, so here she is as a music teacher. What do music teachers do? They, they present concerts at least twice a year. And here she is having to present and showcase her musicians. And guess what? Well, first of all, she's an introvert. Secondly, it was very difficult for her to stand up there and not feel all these eyes on her back and the visibility of that and feeling judged and ruminating. You just talked about ruminating, ruminating and so hard to focus on what was at hand in the opportunity that because of the distraction of what all these people behind her might be thinking, but it creates a compelling story and it was absolutely suffocating for her. So the reason why I bring up Rosemary's story here is because ADHD has this way of, of, it presents and manifests in a way that it really blocks our ability to untie that dominant hand, 
going back to our analogy of you know trying to go through the world without tapping into strengths is trying to use your non-dominant hand. And so because it, this is what had her attention, this is where her focus was. I've got to show up. I've got to follow up, show up completely. And these sort of signature moments were excruciating for her. So what did she do? She started to learn, as we've talked about here, understand, own, and translate. She started to do this herself is to understand her own experience and recognize part of it, her wiring and being wired for context was actually not helping her in this situation, kind of being tuned into too many signals and inputs and trying to respond to all of them. So when she started to kind of look at opportunities and that, oh, maybe I can kind of dial back my efforts, right? That I show up for my teaching and I show up maybe 80% or 60% for these admin meetings or that admin role that I have to play. Once she started to do that and, and find that kind of volume control on her effort that she didn't have to do 100% all the time, then she started to have some energy and bandwidth to apply toward this whole visibility thing. When we started to look at visibility, and again, it was this, this whole notion of being visible, I can't, I can't be visible. But when we started talking about her role, her purpose, what matters to her? What matters to her is that she makes a connection and that her students learn. And when she let go of kind of the county's approach and all the standards, but realized thinking, you know, I don't have to be the teacher and the disseminator of information. I can be a facilitator. I just need to connect the kids to the music and let them take the lead. And she, here's the interesting thing. She just fell into this strength of a facilitator that was not available to, available to her before this. She, it wasn't revealed to her. But as she got in there and saw the nuance and the opportunity, then collaboration and collaborator, facilitation and facilitator came to light and that she could, again, be this connector, connecting the kids to the music. Guess what happened? The audience melts away. And it's just her and the kids and this mission. She got clear on her vision. She got clear on what it was all about. And she discovered these strengths that will keep coming back and she can just keep developing, honing, mastering. And so is it is a chicken and egg situation. You know, did the strengths, you know, mitigate the ADHD challenges? No. It started with recognizing those ADHD challenges and how they were coming into play in the first place. But addressing both, right, the obstacles and the opportunities, and to think about how can I untie my this other hand and start to use it and build some muscle there. I love that example, Cam. And I've had that experience with clients also where 
we start by working on the challenges, which makes room for and energy for and time for that bigger picture. And it's really fascinating when you get into that because her role didn't change. The environment didn't change. She's still standing in front of an audience with her back to them. There are still eyes on her, but her perspective changed. Who she shows up as changed. And it's, I cannot overstate how powerful those shifts are when they happen. They, they still gobsmack me. I don't know about you. You've been doing this a lot longer than me, but they still just, ah, they just gobsmack me when they happen for me or for my clients, right? It's like, wow, wow. And if we only connected to the challenge, we'd never get there. We would never get to those bigger moments. And that's when the real stuff happens. Yes, we got to manage ADHD to create the bandwidth and the room. But it's what we're creating the room and the bandwidth for where the real cool stuff starts to happen. Yeah, the, you know, given our time here and that we need to wrap up in the next five minutes or so, I know the listeners out there are saying, okay, well, wh- where do I start? Where's, where's the, the beginning here? I would say I'm thinking of Brene Brown and her work around vulnerability and courage. There's a certain amount of putting yourself out there to start to think about if you want to create change, you have to put yourself in a position to make that change happen. And thinking of Rosemary, it was her putting herself out there and being vulnerable. There was a vulnerability was the starting place to step in to who you really are and what you stand for. That takes courage. It takes a first step and you might take a step and you might find something that's like, oh, well, this is, you know, not what I stand for. Well, we learn that then that there might be some false doors that you open, but as you continue to open doors and explore these different areas and exercise in areas of strength, they will be revealed to you. They will be revealed to you. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in vulnerability, but it wasn't always. Shelly, oh, the professional. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shelly, the professional organizer, hid most of her challenges and tried to show up as somebody she wasn't. And that was the place I was at when I came to you for coaching those many years ago. And as I recall, you had to kind of dig some vulnerability out of me because even in coaching, I wasn't showing up entirely vulnerable. I wasn't entirely ready to let you see all of my warts. And now here we are, Cam, you and I talking about all of our warts (laughs) (laughs) and all of our challenges. We're out there. We're out there, Shelly. And there's power in it because when you own it, this is the stuff of ownership. You know, when you, you own the strengths and the challenges, people can't weaponize them against you anymore because you own it. I know that about myself. You don't, you don't have to like it, but it's there. And I know that, and you can't use it against me as a weapon anymore. Yeah. So there's more here. You know, we're just scratching the surface of this. We're going to keep coming back to this notion of, 
of cognitive strengths and this of how we tend to present in the sense of being wired for context. And so we're going to dig in more here. This is just the beginning. Yeah, so that's a good place for us to wrap up for today. If you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can help us out by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. If you have feedback to share or just want to tell Cam how awesome he is, you can hit us up on the website, translatingadhd.com, and use the contact form or on Twitter at translatingadhd. And until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Thank you.